0: Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome back to Season 5, Episode 1 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. Welcome back. It feels good to be back. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. You may have noticed that our in-between-the-seasons break was much shorter this time around. That's because, and I think you'll think this is good news, We'll be dropping shows every week for the foreseeable future, with only about a week off in between seasons. There are just too many good coffee stories to tell, things to learn, people to meet, and places I want to go visit. I'll get into some more details about Season 5 changes, including a preview of upcoming shows after today's interview. I recently sat down to chat with Kenny Fletcher. Kenny is the owner, operator, roaster, everything at Paper Tiger Coffee Roasters in Vancouver, Washington, just across the border from Portland, Oregon. Portland has long had a reputation for being coffee forward, but Vancouver has been on the come-up for some time. You'll notice early on that Kenny is a, quote, machine. I have a half a dozen scribbled notes about something that he said being the theme of the show. Then I've scribbled that out because something else he said was so insightful, and then I did that again. And again, one of my favorites is, quote, we're not just going to be in the community. We're going to be part of the community. And that also describes how I feel about this show and the coffee community at large. Today, we're going to cover Kenny's entrepreneurial journey, his work teaching coffee and coffee roasting to deaf and or blind students from the community, and how the coffee community in the Pacific Northwest looks out for each other. If you've got a moment while you're listening today, I'd really appreciate it if you would head to roastwestcoast.com and subscribe to the newsletter that goes along with this show. And I know it's offered for free, but please consider a paid subscription to help support the creation of this content. Until May 5th, there's a 50% off subscription that enables me to purchase a cup of coffee every month fueling my coffee content production. It's a great way to support the creation of this podcast and the sharing of coffee news, coffee smarter education, coffee jobs, and so much more that I put into each newsletter. I'm gonna add that link into the show notes and you can also find it on roastwestcoast.com. Speaking of, I really need a cup of coffee and I've been drinking pour overs of a single origin Brazilian coffee that Kenny sent down to me that I think is called Chati. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that name. It's spelled C-H-A-T-I. It has flavor notes of smooth cocoa, caramel, and light nut flavor all of which are coming through for me in a very enjoyable way. A shout out to JC Farms in the Carme de Minas region of Brazil where this coffee was produced. If you haven't already filled your coffee mug this morning, you should, because it's time for this interview with Kenny Fletcher of Paper Tiger Coffee Roasters in Vancouver, Washington. I can always appreciate a, a gentleman with a bald head. <laughs> it's so much
1: easier than hair, honestly.
0: <laughs> I, uh, I grew my hair back for the first time in December, just cause I was lazy. It lasted a month or two. And my wife just was like, you know what, either shave it or I'm out of here. And I said, all right. No <laughs> I,
1: I uh, didn't cut my hair for a little over a year after I got out of the military and, uh, look kind of like Grizzly Adams, hair down the middle of my back, beard down to my chest and sitting there combing it out one day and drying it. I'm like, this is a joke, man. It was so much easier without any hair. So it's it, back in the 90s and it's never come back.
0: Good for you. Well, I would say, you know, Kenny, welcome to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. Um, if you could, for me, uh, just say your name, the name of your business and kind of what your, what you consider your job title to be there.
1: Well, oh, fair enough. Uh, my name's Kenny Fletcher. My wife Sue and I own Paper Tiger Coffee Roasters here in Vancouver, Washington. Uh, www.papertigercoffee.com. If you're trying to find it, and uh, I roast master slash boss man, I guess I I don't really carry much of a title as well, a co-manager or something. I forget what the corporation document says, but about as titles I get.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, as an owner, I think you do a lot of different things always, but I'm always curious to know what people think of their, of, of themselves as. And I want to get into Paper Tiger. Uh, but I want to start with you, you personally. How did coffee come into your life? What, what made you think that you were interested in it? And this is before even starting Paper Tiger. What was kind of a memory you might have of of that first coffee experience? So,
1: so growing up, the first couple of experiences were horrible. I, I wouldn't even drink coffee until I got into the military because I mean, my, my father and grandfather were both military and they always had Folgers. My grandparents being depression era, they, they put everything in the freezer to make it last forever, pull it out that morning, scoop some in there, you know, shove it right back in the freezer and just slowly freezer burn that stuff to death. Uh, we didn't know any better at the time because that's all I knew and it was just terrible. So I didn't till I needed it. And then I started having coffee and it was pretty bad too. But then a few years go down the road uh, and I was working at a ski resort and I picked up a few extra hours working at the local little coffee cart that was there, just slinging drinks as fast as possible. They were terrible as well, like seven second shots of (laughs) the, and uh, here, here, give me seven bucks and get out there and go have some more fun on the snow, get warm again. Then I went to a good coffee shop and had a proper cup when I was up in Salt Lake, and I forget the name honestly. Uh, but I had gone up to Salt Lake City for a uh, a training session that we were doing on some of the ski the ski work that we were doing, uh, repairing skis and boards and whatnot. And I had a cup of coffee and I was like, "Wow, this is this is good." And so I kind of geeked out on it, picked the guy's brain for a while, and uh, probably annoyed him because. Like every noob I was in there just going, Oh, what was this and how is this and what do you do with this? And got all goofy with it. And, and you know, but it, it really opened my eyes to the fact that there was something better than what I had grown up with. Things kind of transitioned, did a bunch of other jobs in between. Basically I was a bartender for a lot of years. Same job, different vice. You're creating craft cocktails for people that are pretty particular about what they want and they're willing to pay a couple dollars to get it the way they want, which helped. But I'm a, I'm a morning guy. Even before I went in the Army, I was up at 4 or 4 for the 30 in the morning just awake. That's my biological clock. So if I worked the bar and I shut the bar down that night, as soon as the sun came up, I was awake. And then I'd get a little nap right before it was my turn to go back on shift and, and just existed that way for a long time. The opportunity to, to buy this little place came up. It was called Paper Tiger Coffee Company before, uh, which was kind of a funny little story how we kept the name similar to what it was we uh my wife and i were talking about it and i said well i'm gonna go over and just kind of chat with the guy and so i showed up one day i was on my motorcycle and it was a oh it was what early september cold morning a bit wet out so i had my leathers on and i'm looking a little wet and rough and kind of not the normal coffee shop person going in there Uh, but i started talking to him about you know interest in wanting to, to purchase the place from him he had it up for sale everybody knew he was trying to sell the place uh, but I, there was a bunch of chatter in the background from the people that were there i was going to turn to some weird biker coffee shop or something you know what's you know i thought you don't know me i'm a pretty nice guy you know and so we decided <laughs> to stick with paper tiger i don't know if they knew what paper tiger stood for uh and for those that don't know paper tiger is a uh it's an old political term for something that looks big and scary until you really investigate, and then it's just a picture. It's just paper. So it's, it's not as scary as it would seem once you start to investigate. Uh, it was a term we used for the old Russian military back in the, in the Soviet days, when they would march one battalion around and around the Kremlin over and over and over to make it look like it was massive and a huge force, when it was really one battalion.
0: That's actually kind of interesting because uh, when you walked in there in your leathers and kind of looking like the motorcycle guy, they were looking at you as this big, scary guy. But at the same time, you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm actually a pretty nice guy. I just got a little rough exterior this morning. Right. Matches with the name. So when you were looking at it, it was just a coffee shop, though, not a coffee roaster. Is that right? It was
1: a coffee roaster, but it, it was it was failing. They were doing $75 a day in sales and a little bit on the site as a, as a commercial pump. Uh, uh, but it was, I mean, you, you can't, you can't, uh, survive in a coffee shop at a, in a retail brick and mortar setting on $75 a day. That's just impossible. They were, they were hemorrhaging money
0: monthly. And this is in, uh, just timeline wise, uh, about when? So this was 2011. 2011. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so 75 for- definitely in 2011. Yeah. I think $75 a day might not have gotten very far in 1980. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they
1: weren't even keeping the lights on and, and the rent paid at that point. It, it was it was bad. Uh, but it was a hobby shop. They, they really didn't care so much as far as making it survive and thrive. They just wanted to have a, a good place to have coffee the way they wanted.
0: What made you think that you wanted to take on this challenge? You had obviously been working um, all these different jobs and had been in hospitality, but what made you think you wanted to go into ownership?
1: Well, my, my wife and I have been discussing it for a year or so saying, you know, we re- really want to get a place of our own. And like I had mentioned before, my biological clock being a morning guy, this just fit better. I already thought I knew enough about coffee to make it work. I, I had my own business once before when I was in California. Nothing in the hospitality scenario like this. It was a pressure washing company. So we did service calls, but nothing, nothing person to person over and over and over again all day long like this. But I, I thought I knew enough and obviously ignorantly ignorantly did not. But I, I'm a good nerd and uh, I grabbed every book I could read. I watched every video I could find. I talked to anybody who'd give me five minutes of their time. And we also negotiated with it was Zach, the previous owner, that he stay an extra week for some extra money to at least train me to reproduce the roasts he was already doing so the espresso the house coffee the decaf i could at least reproduce those and during that week i realized i'm 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 in trouble i gotta learn everything now (laughs) (laughs) and you know i like i said i did i grabbed everything read everything watched everything learned everything i could from everybody that i could
0: once you're in there then and you're doing that first week and you realize you've got a lot to learn first i would say that there's a little ignorance at the beginning of any entrepreneurial project, uh, oh, yeah, can, be, always. can be a good thing, uh, too, because it makes you make choices you might not make if you knew more, <laughs> Yes, yeah. that's what I've learned. So you go in there and you start, start roasting. Um, did people respond right away and say, okay, it's a new owner, but we're going to keep coming here. We're going to keep doing the thing. Or how did you kind of start that process of transitioning the business to you and who you are as a person? So I'm a decent hype guy,
1: right? The first thing I did was grab a couple air pots of hot coffee and some paper cups and just walked around the neighborhood to all the local businesses and said, hey, I'm the new owner. And we got a really rude awakening at that moment. This was still early on in customer reviews days online, right? I mean, they'd been going on, but they were just starting to really become a thing. We got resounding responses from people saying, we don't go there. Because the staff was very snobby about, we don't want you to add cream or sugar to your coffee. We've already perfected this, you know. And I was just like, well, hey, I'm the new owner and that's not how it is anymore. If you want cream in your coffee, you don't put it. I don't care. I want you to have a good cup of coffee the way you want to have it. And that, just doing that doubled the sales within the first two weeks. So we went from that horrible little 75 dollars a day to 150 dollars a day just in the first two weeks by me actually just reaching out to the local businesses and people right around the shop being a much more personable person in regards to customer service zach was a great engineer he could work out all the details on a on a coffee as he's roasting it but if you've ever dealt with a lot of engineers you know sometimes they're not always the best people person that unfortunately showed through with the reviews that he was getting online And so I just went through at that point and started responding to each of those bad reviews saying, hey, we're the new ownership. We've taken over. This is the new name of the company. This is how we're doing things. And that started to kind of turn things in our favor as well, getting people on board going, well, maybe I'll give them another try. And some people liked us. Some people didn't. Same as anything else. People come in and they agree with what you do or they don't agree with what you do. And all we know is we're gonna do the best possible job each and every time somebody walks in the door because we appreciate the fact they're coming in the door. You know, people vote with their dollars and their time.
0: Yes, they do. In 2011, for anyone listening, Vancouver, Washington is just north of Portland. Mm-hmm. Portland has kind of a thriving coffee scene as well. What What is the kind of the co- the coffee scene in Vancouver at this time? And are you dealing with kind of a third wave customer or is it, you know, this is our neighborhood coffee roaster and the place we go. Are we talking now or 2011? Sorry. Two that 2011.
1: So both right. Third wave coffee was really coming into its own at that time. And so we had lots of people coming in, wanting very detailed information on the coffee that they were getting. And like I said, being a good nerd, I had dove in and learned everything I could not only about the roasting of the coffee, but what coffees I was roasting. So when someone was asking me about a particular coffee and where it came from and what altitude it was grown at, I was just boom, 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 here you go. So the third wave people really liked it, right? And our regulars started liking it because we had a really well-balanced roasted house cup of coffee and a really well-balanced espresso. We tend to focus more on a more Southern Italian traditional style espresso roast. Uh, well balanced some good cocoa some good caramels a little bit of nut and then just a hint of spice on the finish We're we're lucky enough to have a a regular in the shop who is a wine purveyor for italian wines and so he's in italy typically three to four times a year and he touches base at a few of the shops there that he knows and comes back and has a little taste test and goes yep you're still on point you've drifted a little farther to the the high end a little too bitter over here you know but he's, he's been an invaluable resource in keeping us true to, to form.
0: How are you sourcing coffees? Was that something you kind of rolled over from when the previous ownership?
1: In the beginning, yeah. Yeah, in the beginning, we, we just took the data that he had given us and ran with that. And some of it was beneficial and some of it wasn't. And over the years, we've managed to meet up with different farmers at different events. We've managed to have people actually show up. I mean, I am I know a lot of roasters have people from different farms just show up and go, hey, I've got this. Do you want to try it out? Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's really what we're looking for. And sometimes it's absolutely not what we're looking for. But those that we find that seem to be solid people, and I don't mean that in a disparaging way towards everybody because you can get a bad vibe off anybody and have it be totally incorrect myself in particular walking into the shop as the biker guy to buy it and having people going i'm gonna buy your coffee shop so i know we can all be wrong in those those situations but as you start talking to people and you start learning about the way they handle their business and the way you handle your business and when things kind of vibe then you work together and we've been lucky enough to have quite a few of those scenarios come to fruition over the years where I, I can call up any one of the people that I work with and say, hey, Eliar, I need, you know, a few bags of, of X, Y and Z coffee. You know, how fast can you get it to me? And and he makes it happen because his family's growing in Tanango and, and they're they're doing their thing and he's their representative here stateside. So. We just we click he comes in and rinse time on our roaster so he can roast his coffee and sample it out to different people to try to sell more on that site too it's a pretty interesting scenario all the way around as far as getting the coffee and making it all
0: work i was just thinking about how about first impressions and you going into the shop and and you know thinking at the time that you knew enough to know and then having kind of a uh, learning real quickly that maybe you didn't, the customer's not really sure about you or not happy with the previous kind of service uh, levels. Now that you're 11 years beyond, you know, 2011, you've been doing this for 10, 11 years, you've been perfecting your your craft, so to speak. Looking back, how do you think that you have changed and how has the shop changed over the past 10 years?
1: In so many different ways I have changed. The shop, we've managed to keep the initial feel that we wanted, right? A little backstory on that, just to give you perspective on it. Um, When I was a kid, I got to go with my grandpa to his little local coffee shop, just like twice a year for about five or six years running. And the little lady that ran that shop, her name was Deb. I don't know if it was Deborah or something different. Everybody just called her Deb but she was the sweetest little lady in the world. Never forgot my name in all those years. Even the very first time I walked in, hi, Kenny, how are you? Welcome. Do you want a cup of hot cocoa? And and it was the days that you want leaded or unleaded and maybe a slice of fresh pie with that. And it was just always a well, a warm and welcoming environment. It wasn't super sterile. and, And I don't mean that in a, In a bad way, you know, you go into some shops and everything is so pristine and so clean, you're you're almost afraid to sit down and and have a conversation with people because they're definitely quartered off in their own portion. And there's time and place for that. But in this particular one, it, it was very, come on in, you're always welcome, sit down, get comfy, have a conversation with everybody in the room. And my grandpa and his friends would sit in there and I'd argue like cats and dogs all day long. And then they'd go next door at the barbershop and do the same thing where they're each getting their hair cut, playing checkers and arguing about everything. But at the end of the day, they all shook hands, gave each other a hug, said, OK, we'll see you Sunday at the potluck or whatever. And it was just a warm, welcoming environment. So that is what we wanted to do with Paper Tiger when we took it over. And that's kind of what it feels like. You walk in there, everybody's like, I feel kind of like I'm going to my, my friend's house or my cousin's house or something. You know, I just feel like I can sit down and start talking to people. And you can't. That's kind of the environment that we've managed to not only create, but keep through all the years. Pretty much anybody can walk in and they may feel off for a quick second because they're not used to it, but within five minutes, they're having a conversation with the people at the table next to them and they're doing their thing and they're having a cup of coffee and totally engrossed in whatever the topic of conversation is. For myself, there's been a multitude of changes. Uh, Early on, I wanted to make whatever coffee be that coffee I wanted it to be. And throughout the years, I've learned that some of those things I can drive and get the flavors that I want. But when you're dealing with a really high-end quality cup of coffee, you really want to find where that coffee shines the best. Be it a light roast, a medium roast, a dark roast, whatever and sometimes that coffee has multiple places where it really shines. I don't know how many other people do this kind of technique, but if I find a coffee that's got three really great keynote spaces on it, I roast it separately to those three different places, and then I blend it together on itself. So you get a really complex single origin that way, and it's, it's served us well over the years.
0: I have not heard that from someone from another roaster doing this show, and uh, that is really interesting that you're taking the same bean, roasting it three different ways and blending it together. Uh, that's almost enough to make me come drive up to Vancouver, Washington in the near future. And
1: well, I'll just send you some as a sample, you know, send me your address
0: afterwards and I'll, I'll get you a sample platter and you can play with whatever you want. Uh, that's very, very kind of you. So as you're saying, kind of as a roaster, you've grown in um, the way your relationship with the coffee itself is, has changed oh absolutely
1: like i said early on i was trying to get something that had the right kind of flavor tones in it when i'm talking to the different brokers and growers and farmers and you know everybody along the chain and when somebody says okay this one's got caramel cocoa and nut i'm like well i need that okay yeah give, give me that and then i'm gonna make it taste the way i want it to and you know to some extent you can do a lot of that but You can't do that with every single coffee. You you can't take certain ones and make them taste really strongly of cocoa and caramel if that's not the flora and fauna in the area where it grows and that's not any of the natural inherent flavors that are within the coffee to start with. I've lessened on that and learned more to be a, a little more organic myself.
0: One of the reasons I reached out to you and I was excited to talk to you Is your work with the uh, the School of the Deaf and the Blind, and specifically you have students that come in and learn to roast or learn to work in the coffee or to make uh, different styles of coffee? How did that effort start, and how has that impacted you as as an owner and and by extension Paper Tiger as a company? It's been an amazing journey. The one of the thing it just really struck me because. I actually grew up with, with neighbors who were deaf and my best friends, parents were deaf and to think about, to extend it, especially to blind, to think about learning how to do something as mechanical as roasting or working with those machines just seems so challenging to me. And I'm just, I'm still trying to figure it all out in my head. So I'm excited to hear a little bit more about it. Yeah.
1: And and for us at paper tiger, it actually started with the school for the blind. They have a small roastery and coffee shop there at the school. And because it's the state school, many of those students actually live on site throughout the school year. They might go home for spring break or on the occasional weekend, but most of them live there on on the school grounds during that time. So they go to the little coffee shop or they learn to work in the roastery. And that kind of blew my mind when they asked me about it. It initially started with, hey, we've got this roaster up here. We're having some problems. Can you come take a look at it for us and see if you can diagnose what's going on or troubleshoot it? I said, well, I'll do what I can. But it's not the same machine that I work with. You know, the basics are all pretty much the same. So I got up there and we kind of went it went over it, got it all working, got everything dialed in for them. And then uh, they said, would you be interested in teaching some of the kids how to roast? And then they can come back here and teach the other kids how to roast. And then we can keep the cycle going year to year like that. And I said, you want me to to put these kids on my machine, which is much larger they, they have a they have a little one pound roaster that's tabletop and you have to actually hand stir the cooling tray and everything it's a really really basic unit mine isn't huge either you know but they were wondering if I would do that I was like well if you're willing to send the kids up here I I how can I say no to, to trying to teach them so I, I put a little notice up to our local community put some some flyers up on the door saying hey this is what they're they're asking us to do we need to get a a, an audio thermometer and we need to get a braille labeler and we need to get a few of these tools and we can't really afford to do so (sighs) sorry i always get a little emotional telling these things it took about five days And we tripled what we needed. The community just came in, dropped off a dollar here, five dollars there. They made it happen. And I said, okay, it's supposed to be. So I did. I braille labeled the whole machine. (laughs) Every button on there still to this day has these braille labels all over it. And the kids come in when when they're learning. We get a new student or two each year. Obviously, not the last two years with COVID. We haven't been able to. Uh, We've still done some training with them, but not the full training that we would normally do. Uh, But the kids come in, and I talk them through the machine, and they'll reach over, and they'll read each of the buttons once, maybe twice. But by the time they've gone over that machine two times, they already know where everything is because they're used to mapping out their environment like that, right? Just like you or I walk into a room and go, okay, there's the table, there's the chair. They might have to map it out in a different way but they map it out and quite rapidly. And within the first two days of working with the first student, I knew that all the hangups that I had were my hangups, not their hangups. It was all these little mental hurdles that I put up that were stopping me from, from just diving right in. And as soon as we dove right in, it just took off. The, The kids came in, we developed a special roast that's only for the school. We call it Liger. Their mascot is the lions. and We're Paper Tiger, so it's Liger. And one of the deaf, or I'm sorry, one of the blind students actually drew the little logo. So it's this little hand-drawn tiger logo that, uh, or Liger, I should say. Obviously not completely blind. That student could see a very small diameter pinhole area out of one eye. And so she sat there and drew this version of, of what a Liger would look like. And that's the logo that goes on that bag of coffee. Every time we put it out or they put it out, they do the same roast at the school all year long too.
0: In the in those first kind of sessions where you're kind of adapting and learning, how did you kind of develop a, a teaching program? Were, were you teaching anyone else before that, or was it kind of all on the fly that first time?
1: Yeah, the first time was definitely on the fly. I didn't know what to expect. Right. Uh, Always a suit, always a student, sometimes a teacher, and never an expert, right? <laughs> sure, so I went in as the teacher, but really learning myself as we went, and you really have to do that anytime you're dealing with somebody who is otherwise capable, right? Everybody's got a skill set. it's about finding out what that skill set is and then honing that as best as possible and so. There's a general rule of things that we do when we're teaching somebody new how to roast coffee or how to brew coffee, but it's really seeing what each individual can and can't do in the same way, and then figuring out how to make it totally accessible and easy and repeatable. It's a learning experience every single time we bring in a new student.
0: Sure. You started with students uh, from the School of the Blind and eventually students from uh, deaf students as well. Yeah, I read somewhere that your staff knows ASL, American Sign Language.
1: Yep. If they don't, it's it's something that we pay for them to go uh, and take the classes and learn. The school has a actually has a community sign language class that they offer twice a year to the general public, because they will teach new parents if somebody has a child that is found to be deaf. They you know they want the family to learn sign language too. But there's always extra seats in there. So we, we pay for our staff to go over and learn. And they learn throughout the day as they're just working with the rest of us that are signing as well. You know, when, you, when you're first learning ASL, the teachers don't want you to speak while you're doing it, which is counter to the way you should do it after you've learned, right? And I find myself even still to this day, you know, uh, over a decade into this, just doing some signs and kind of mouthing the words, but not actually speaking. And I'm like, what are you doing, dummy? Just talk to people because many of them can actually hear a little bit or they have a a cochlear implant or some hearing aids where they are picking up a decent amount of audio. They can't pick up everything all the time and some of them can't pick up anything. It just depends on each individual person. But especially with ASL, it's as much the movement of your lips, And the expression on your face and your overall body language when you're delivering the statement to somebody, every little item there is picked up in the conversation. For instance, we had a young lady named Melka that worked for us for a lot of years, who's completely deaf. And at the time we didn't know it, but we were one of only six or seven coffee shops in the world that had a deaf barista on staff. When she first started, she came in the middle of the day and was learning how to do everything. Then we shifted her over to mornings to start learning how to, op- to work the opening shift. And she would come to me every day going, why is that person mad at me? Like, what do you mean? You know, what are you saying? They're, they're, they're not mad at you. It's like, oh, yeah, they're just mad. They're mad. They're mad. I'm like, no, they're just not awake. They need some coffee. <laughs> okay. I don't think so, but Okay. And it took her probably about a month of working the opening shift to realize those people just weren't aware of their own body language at the time or they just weren't awake enough to even care. I want you know, I need coffee. I want coffee. Just give me coffee. (laughs) So she had a really hard time in the beginning. So now we preemptively tell all our deaf students going, some of the people are just going to be mad and it's not you. They just want coffee before they can actually like start talking with everybody else. She's so like, oh, okay. You know, and all of them have that same kind of reaction. What? what are what are they mad for? It's interesting
0: to see that transition to go from okay, those people are just not awake to oh, why are they mad? Well, you you already answered my next question, which which was if any of these students become employees, but the The program itself is that part of the goal of the program is to teach this as a job skill, yes, or is it just as an opportunity to learn coffee so it's it's
1: both some of the kids think they want to do coffee and then they come in and they actually work it for a while, and they're just no nah, this isn't this isn't for me, I don't ever want to do this, you know <laughs> uh and some of them come in really wanting to actually work and do coffee it's awesome to see it. do. We can't obviously hire everybody that we train. We're, we're still a pretty small company overall. Uh, we hire those that we can and we hire and offer training to anybody who really, really wants to do so through the schools and other programs too. We work with the Department of Vocational Rehab and, and uh, the GATE program, which is a local continuing education program in the area. Also with the Recovery Cafe of Clark County, people that are trying to get their lives together and need some more work skills and we'll absolutely train them to to be able to make coffee. The our area everywhere from Portland on up to Seattle is uh the highest per capita consumption of coffee in the country. New York drinks more per day based on sheer mass of people in the small area but the Pacific Northwest drinks more coffee per capita than anywhere else in the country. And so it's a it's a thriving
0: it's a thriving business and industry in our area. Has your area specifically Vancouver has there been a lot of growth in the coffee industry? I mean I'm wondering in 2011 how many other coffee roasters were there and now have you seen that been growing over the last 10 years?
1: Oh, it's absolutely been growing. Uh, When we started, we were one of uh, five or six roasters in the area. I forget the exact total. There was ourselves, Compass, uh, Brood Awakenings, Brood 360, Gorge Coffee. There there was about six different roasters when when we started up. Now there's, uh, I believe, 13 roasters in the area.
0: Any competition between you and Portland?
1: It's competition, but it's also... We're, we're also all colleagues, right? We're all working in the same industry. And some people I get along with, some people I really don't always get along with. But overall, if one of my colleagues needs some help, they're, they're shy on a bag of coffee or something and I happen to have it, I'll take care of them. They'll pay me back. And then on the off chance that I need a bag of coffee or I need some time on one of their roasters because the part broke, we, we've all kind of bounced off one another and made it work. It was funny, we did a a commercial for the city of Vancouver the year before COVID kicked in, and every one of the the three coffee roasters, ourselves included, all basically said the same thing, not knowing anything about the other's interviews. It was kind of amazing that, that we all had the same kind of mindset in the way not only that we were doing things, but how we would help out any of the other coffee roasters in the area if we thought it would do any good.
0: I watched that video uh, last night, actually, and I'll share it on the newsletter for anyone listening so they can see it as well. You mentioned at the very beginning uh, when you went into, even just before you even purchased it and you came in, you rode your motorcycle in. Have you brought any of that motorcycle culture into the shop? And I ask (laughs) because I saw that you did a bike night. Yep. I was a motorcycle rider and I have a hard time imagining a bike night at my local coffee shop. So I'm wondering how, that, uh, how those two worlds have matched over, like, over the years.
1: So the, the bike nights are always, it's always an interesting group of people that shows up. Being the Pacific Northwest and as wet as we get during the winter, we don't always do it during the winter. We're getting ready to start back up here in a few weeks. Uh, we decided just Monday morning that we would do it uh, right after Easter. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting uh, dichotomy when that, when that happens. One group in particular, the Bikers for Christ come in a lot, right? They have a Monday meeting there with whoever just shows up and they just all sit around having a cup of coffee together. It's not really a a formal meeting or anything. They just all come and have coffee that morning. It might be three or four guys. It might be two dozen. You never know what's going to happen. And it's the same with bike night. You know, we've been in there and it's just been four or five of us sitting around the table, sipping on a cup of coffee and joking. And there's been other times where there's not even room for everybody to be in the building at once. Bikes lined up throughout the whole parking lot. We, we do rides with, uh, we're a good kickoff point for a morning ride. Start there, get a cup of coffee, maybe a donut. And then, you know, you got five or six stops throughout the day. It's a good way to do that. We're a decent rally point for that kind of scenario.
0: What I what I hear and what I think of back to the, the events that I had done and, and poker runs was a big thing where I come yep. from, um, if you're familiar, but it's motorcycle, whether the community is motorcycles or... Uh, the ASL community or a local softball team, your space is, it's a community of people and you're going to have people from all walks of life that come through that door. And you're kind of providing a space for one kind of segment of that community. As
1: much of the community as absolutely possible. One of the things that we, that we decided early on, my wife and I was that we're not just going to be in the community. We're going to be a part of the community. Right. And, you can definitely feel that when you go to different businesses going around town, there are those that are in that position because that's the most high traffic area where they're going to get the most sales. And then you got the people that are there because they are part of the community. We want to be the latter. We want to be part of the community across the board, you know, like, like with the, uh, with the deaf community, by and large, they are near the school within Vancouver. Uh, there's a huge majority of the deaf community that lives within blocks of our, our shop. We're literally directly across the street from the School for the Deaf. So the kids didn't think much of it at the time, but they gave me a sign name. It's the letter K, like you're shaving your head, because I'm the ball guy. They played with different ones, you know, K's like you're riding a motorcycle and different things. But I, I thought that was pretty awesome that they would give me a a sign name that that's acceptance into that community. And it wasn't just because we're teaching them how to do stuff. It's because we're literally trying to learn and learn and learn more and more ASL all the time. So we could talk with them and we could actually have a full blown conversation instead of uh, what can I make you this morning? Which is great. But if all you can say is coffee or milk or a little bit of sugar, eh, you can say, Hey, how are you today? You know, what are you doing later start talking to people and having a full-blown conversation that's really
0: impactful for somebody who has a any kind of language barrier i can relate to that a little bit when i moved to california and took over restaurants i didn't speak spanish right and spanish especially in communicating with people in spanish both customers and employees was a challenge. And I had to make, I made a worksheet and, you know, we started yeah. posting worksheets and it became part of our training because I realized very quickly, if, if part of your staff can't communicate with the other part of the staff, this is not going to work.
1: Yeah. Especially in a kitchen because you're constantly moving around and you got to be able to say, I'm coming on your left. I'm stepping behind you, you know, order up, whatever the, the scenario is, people around you have to know what's being said.
0: Yep. And my Spanish is still not, not very good, but I, you know, it became something that made made me and my staff closer together because we were learning, I was learning and my team was learning uh, together. They were learning more English, I was learning more Spanish, and we were trying to meet somewhere in the middle. You work in hospitality, anyone who's listening who's worked in hospitality, there's already a whole different language that you use, uh, I think, in that world with your job and, you know, you're you're, you're kind of throwing out some uh, kitchen uh, terms there, but there's an uh, entirely different sort of engagement than between two people who work say at adjoining desks, you know, you you have to work together and until you get into that flow uh, where you understand each other's physical space, as well as, you know, the intellectual space, it can be a challenge. Yeah.
1: We we jokingly call it the
0: espresso dance because
1: we're all moving (laughs) around the same machine and we're all doing this little thing. And people are just like, wow, you guys have been working together for a while. No, actually, she just started like a month ago, but she's learning the dance it helps when everybody's on the same page.
0: Absolutely. And if you're if you're at home listening to this and you're wondering what it's like, take a partner or a friend and go into the bathroom and shut the door and have you both try to wash your hands at the same time. That's kind of what we're talking about. Yeah. I feel like I could talk to you quite a bit more about especially this this program that you're doing and and obviously coffee and and um being where I am in in southern California, I'm always excited to hear about stuff in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, leaders in coffee generally but i want to i want to give you a chance is there anything that we didn't talk about today that you think would be that people would be interested in paper tiger or about you or the programming that you're doing
1: you know i i don't that's the that's the worst part when i'm talking about me i'm a terrible hype man <laughs> you, you start talking to me about coffee i'm all about it you talk to me about the kids that i'm working with i'm all about hyping those guys but for me I, i'm just me i'm the i'm I might show up on the motorcycle carrying 200 pounds of coffee up to Seattle because it's needed that day and you know it was nice out so it gives me an excuse to ride and ride it
0: off. But <laughs> well how about this what what motorcycle are you riding and when you're on that trip if you stop to get a coffee somewhere else what do you order for you
1: All right well I ride a, a 2005 Yamaha V-Star 1100 that's been fairly well customized out Nothing bad about the Harley guys and the Harley riding and all that, but it's, it's a little less maintenance. And when I'm especially for business, I want to make sure that if I've got to go to Seattle with 200 pounds of coffee and I can strap it to the back of the bike, I'm going to make it there. But when I go to other coffee shops, uh, first thing I always order is a shot of espresso. If that's tasty, then I order a cappuccino. Because between those two, I can pretty much tell what I'm going to get from that coffee shop. And and if I like it, I tell all my riding buddies, that's where you go. If you're on the road and you're, you're, you know, heading up Interstate 5, this is the spot right here at this particular location. Or this is not the spot. Don't go there. This is terrible. Uh, I've only ever said that about two coffee shops. And I don't want to throw them under the bus because it's not my place to judge who likes their coffee and who doesn't. But I typically know what the people I'm I'm around are are drinking and what they like. And there's only two that I just don't recommend to people. I don't tell people to necessarily stay away, but I do not recommend those.
0: Well, and it all depends on that community as well. I mean, if that's not your community, some family relatives own a brewery in Germany. And I just assumed they made the best beer in the world, Uh, Germans, and a small, the brewery has been around 250 years. And then I got a chance to go there and try the beer there. And it was some of the, I could not, the group we were with, I had to apologize to because the beer was really not enjoyable. But the people in that community have been drinking just that beer for 250 years, and that's what they like. And so who am I to say that it's not?
1: It's, it's the local beer. It's what everybody knows. You know, uh, I, I grew up in, in Southern California and down in New Arizona, for the most part, and I, I grew up with some really good Mexican food. So I'm spoiled. I come up here and I have Mexican food and I'm like, thank you. And, and I try to be as nice as I can about it, but it's so not, not authentic in not so many authentic. cases. There's a couple of really good Mexican restaurants up here. And I tell everybody where to go for that. Like, if you want the good stuff, you go here and you go here. Everywhere else is, is whitewashed.
0: Well, I'm going to have to get those names from you off the air. Kenny, I really appreciate you spending some time with me today and telling me a little bit more about what you guys are doing and I just really appreciate it. And I look forward to getting a chance to stop in at paper tiger sometime in the future.
1: Absolutely. If you're ever in the area, make sure you do stop in. We'll, we'll take care of you.
0: To recap today's interview, a paper tiger is one that is outwardly powerful or dangerous but inwardly weak and ineffectual. It is something that looks big and scary, but ends up being just paper, not scary at all. That's just a really cool concept and something I've started looking for in my own life. What am I afraid of? Is it really that scary? If I sit down with a cup of coffee and examine it, will that fear be justified? Kenny was once the paper tiger himself when he was recalling the reaction to him being interested in buying the cafe over a decade ago his appearance as a big motorcycle guy scared off some of the people in the shop. But his response was, quote, I'm a pretty nice guy. His story is a good reminder that sometimes it is best to learn as you go. Ignorance can be bliss at the beginning of an entrepreneurial effort. If we really knew all of the pitfalls, we'd probably never make the leap. But after you've leapt, like Kenny did, you have to sink or swim. Successful entrepreneurs can be incredibly resourceful when their back is against the wall. Paper Tiger as a company is unique in their efforts in other ability communities, and Kenny's theory on teaching to individuals is how I wish all schools were able to educate. I ran that idea by my wife who works in the education field, and before I even finished telling the story, she was nodding along and confirming that it was her wish too. I really encourage any established or burgeoning entrepreneurs to look for opportunities to support their communities and not be afraid to take on something that may be scary. It may just be a paper tiger, and as Kenny learned, the hangups may only be yours. If you want to learn more about Paper Tiger Coffee Roasters or buy some of their coffee, check out their website, papertigercoffee.com, or follow their Instagram at papertigercoffeeroasters, links of which will be in the show notes and in the newsletter on roastwestcoast.com. So let's get to some Season 5 changes. First and most obvious, more shows, smaller breaks. Plus, a lot of the focus of this show has been on Southern California, because that's where I'm based, but I'm expanding the horizons of this show. This season, I'll still have guests from SoCal because there's a lot of great coffee going on here, but I'll also be chatting with coffee professionals from Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and even Canada. I'll be connecting with roasters who specialize in decaf coffee, artists who paint using coffee grounds, and national champion coffee roasters like Moster Coffee's Nick Berardi, who's going to be a guest later this season. Of course, our favorite Coffee Smarter experts will be back, including Chris O'Brien of Coffee Cycle Roasting, Siri Simran Khalsa of Lofty Coffee, and Jared Hales of Hasea Coffee Source. They're going to be joined this season by Ryan Sullivan. He's the roasting director of that award-winning Moster Coffee company. There are also going to be some changes happening online. The newsletter is becoming a bit more comprehensive with new content, including the Bean Journal, which will detail what and where I'm drinking coffee. I'll also be traveling to a dozen states this summer in search of great coffee, and creating some specialized sections for Coffee Smarter Education, interviews, coffee jobs, and guest columns from other fans of craft coffee. I also have a new coffee column coming in the Coast newspaper, which I'll link to in the newsletter every week. I know it's a lot of new stuff, but I'm excited to share so much more of this coffee journey with you and I hope you enjoy listening. You can always reach out to me at Roast West Coast on Instagram with ideas for Coffee Smarter episodes or recommendations of people that we should interview for the show. I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode. I always get so nervous to launch a new season. Luckily, I have a lot of support. There's going to be some new names shouted out and linked in our future Roast Industry partner list, but the original legacy partners are a big reason why I've gotten this far. So a very sincere thank you to Café La Terre, Ignite Coffee Company, Moster Coffee Company, Leap Coffee, Marea Coffee, Steady State Coffee Roasting, Coffee Cycle Roasting, Camp Coffee Company, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, First Light Whiskey, and Zumbar Coffee and Tea. Please consider joining them in supporting the creation of this content by subscribing to the paid version of the newsletter. You can get 50% off a monthly subscription until May 5th. That's 50% until 5-5. I should probably also shout out my neighbor who bought a motorcycle, and you may occasionally hear him in the background of this show. I hope this episode has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity and coffee to make it through the day. Please always tip your baristas, and be sure to drink good coffee. I like beer. Hey, everyone. If you like, like the Roast West Coast Coffee podcast, now. you might also appreciate the I Like Beer the podcast. Listening to these guys is like being a fly on the wall of the pub with a few of your favorite mates having a pint. These professional beer appreciators have plenty of stories to share on everything from the mating habits of penguins to their behind-the-scenes brewery experiences. Check out the I Like Beer the podcast wherever you are listening to this show about coffee, or head to ilikebeerthepodcast.com.